So yeah, this morning, I want to be still.、Um, I'll be honest with you, I'm not feeling tops right now.、Um, but praise the Lord for Zoom and the opportunity to、uh, to still worship God together.、Um, this is actually part five of our O Church Arise、um, sermon series. And I think this will be its conclusion. So next Sabbath,、uh, I don't know if I if I get inspired, <laughs> and maybe it'll continue next Sabbath. But I think this is the conclusion. There's really only about、um, six six occurrences of that word arise in the book of Acts.、Uh, the last one it comes in Acts chapter 22. If you want to look for it, it's when Pe- it's when Paul is telling his testimony about what happened on the road to Damascus. So it's kind of a repetition of ground that we've already covered in a previous session. But the arise that's new in that chapter is when God actually tells him arise and be baptized.、Um, arise and be baptized. Why, what are you waiting for? And so、uh, just a, a really cool reminder that you know next Sabbath, God willing. Please, Lord. <laughs> Next Sabbath, we'll still be able to host a special baptism service.、Um, yeah, and I guess we'll we'll keep you all posted regarding that. Okay, so part five, O Church Arise. You know, we've been exploring this the stories in Acts when God's people arise to action. What we're trying to do is we're we're trying to find ways that God may be calling us as His church today、um, to arise for His kingdom, to advance His kingdom, to give Him glory. And so today, like I said, likely our last series, we're going back to Peter. Okay, so go with me if you've got a Bible. Go with me to Acts chapter twelve. Acts chapter twelve is where we are.、Um, as usual, I'm reading from the New King James Version. So, when you have Acts chapter twelve, go ahead and give me a thumbs up. All right, nice. Okay. Here we are, Acts chapter twelve. So this is a really interesting story. It's actually one of the more humorous stories,、um, although it doesn't start out that way. And so let's just kind of pick it up from verse one. There's some ominous stuff going on here as we look at this last arise、uh, for our sermon series. Actually, you know what? Let's let's pray together. Let's pray before we read. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the opportunity to study your word together, to gather. In this virtual space, as a body of believers, and we recognize today that apart from you, we've got nothing. I want to pray.、Um, I want to pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon each and every heart and household that's here, and also those that aren't here.、Um, we ask, Father, that you would do a special work today to give us all rest, Sabbath rest and revival. I want to pray for continued health. I want to pray for.、Um, The state of our emotional well-being, as well as well as the the country's well-being,、um, yeah, we thank you, Lord, that whatever transitions may be on the horizon on a grand scale, you have already made provision for your people. So please, Lord,、um, secure us, hide us now, in the shelter of your loving presence. We ask God that as we open up your Word, that you would open up our hearts to hear from you, that you would give us ears to hear.、Um, That your Holy Spirit would give us spiritual discernment, and Lord, you know there may be things I've planned to say, but there are things that your Holy Spirit needs to speak to our hearts. So go ahead, we give you the green light for that, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name, Amen. Alrighty, here we are, Acts chapter twelve.、Um, we are going for it, and the Bible says in verse one. So now, about that time, Herod the king. 
stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Okay, so just from the very get-go, we're already kind of steeped in this, oh man, now there's big trouble. Uh, This is not the same Herod that maybe you remember who was involved in the trials of Jesus. This is probably the nephew of that Herod. Um, but either way, the, the Herod that was responsible for the mass, the, the massacre uh, when Jesus was a baby um, that caused his family to flee to Egypt, that was, I think, the grandfather of this Herod. Either way, the Herods, whenever you read about the Herods, they're, they're big meanies, okay, <laughs> big bullies. And so here's Herod, the king. He stretches out his hand to harass some from the church. Uh, The word here for harass, like stretching out his hand to harass, uh, it's an idiom that highlights the violent nature and the way he's he's really going out of his way. Uh, His effort is very intentional to make life miserable for God's people. One prime example in verse two, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, the first of the disciples to lose their life for the cause of Christ. And according to verse three, this actually had Um, positive ripple effects in Herod's relations with other people in his empire, or at least in his jurisdiction. Verse three, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers. Literally, that's four groups of four uh, squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. He's trying to play it smart here. Uh, Didn't want to cause, you know, or give Peter a platform to actually share with other Jewish people, uh, just an extended appeal as he's done in in previous chapters of the book of Acts. But here's what we see. Um, Herod's harassing actions actually pleases the Jews. It wins their favor and approval because it satisfies their hopes and expectations. That's really, really sick if you think about it. And so Herod wants to do more, you know, after he was able to kind of stir up the pleasure of the Jews through the killing of James, he wants to do more. He wants to go beyond that by accomplishing or inflicting misery to the church and, again, pleasing the Jewish leaders. This, uh, what he does to apprehend Peter and actually put him in the care of 16 soldiers, four squads of four, like we said, yeah, it's an excessive measure. He's trying to intimidate, but it's also a safe measure. If you remember in Acts chapter 5, There was a time when the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they tried to silence the apostles who were preaching the gospel. Uh, They they took them and apprehended them. And then there was an angel that led them out of the prison saying, yeah, 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 go, go into the temple and preach this good news. Okay, so Herod probably has that little bit of history in mind. So yes, it's an excessive measure, but it's also a safe measure. Anyways, as you're hearing this setup to this story, it's really a sad, sad reality that it points to, that there are times and I would say there will be times when people, even rulers and leaders, actively seek to make life miserable for Christ's followers in order to win the approval of other groups. It's really sad and it's very sick. Uh, It's a level of intolerance that maybe some of us have experienced already. um, And really prophecy points to a time when that that intolerance will be highlighted all the more. And you know what, right now we may not be imprisoned physically. Maybe some of us know what it's like to be hurt, to be harassed, to have someone's hand literally stretched out in a way that would bind us by their malicious intent toward us. 
that's ugly. And, and if you've been through that, if you've walked through a season like that, if you're walking through a season like that, man, that, that's a, it's not a fun place. It feels like a prison when there are haters in our lives, right? Who find pleasure in our discomfort. And though what I would say to you is that even though it may feel far from pleasant, we can be honest with that. I would submit still that through those very seasons, God can be glorified even more. I was reading through Acts of the Apostles, um, the, the book by Ellen White on the life and experience of the early church. And she says this, oh boy, I think this is page 145 to 146. She says, man's extremity is God's opportunity. The bolts and bars and the Roman guard, which effectually cut off all possibility of human aid, were but to make more complete the triumph of God in the deliverance of Peter. Yeah, yeah, right? God is able to take those extreme situations and turn those into an extreme opportunity to give glory to the name of Christ. And so you keep reading through this story, and there is a turnaround here, starting in verse 5. Let's get to it. This is where it gets really good. Peter, this is verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. All right, that sentence, it may be short, but it's very, it's very critical. Peter was in prison, but, and what, what changes the narrative flow? Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. This is awesome. This is more than just a minor detail, a matter of routine. It's not that they're just, you know, praying for their meal, you know, whatever. This is constant prayer. Maybe your version says fervent prayer. The word literally here is to stretch out, to be completely taut, you know, tension. The, the Greek root word here is, is what the word we get for tension. So uh, he's talking about prayer that's stretched out, prayer that's completely taut, prayer that is fully extended to achieve maximum potential. It's really interesting is that the only other time fervent, you know, the, the Greek word here for fervent, the only other time that term is used in the New Testament is actually two times in Peter's letters. Okay, not just a story about Peter here in Acts chapter 12, but Peter uses this very idea of stretched out, but he's not talking about prayer in those verses. It's 1 Peter 1, 22, and 1 Peter 4, verse 8. You can write them down, look them up later. Um, but that's where Peter is exhorting believers to love one another fervently, to love fully stretched out. And I wonder, you know, if Peter is writing those epistles after having this experience where the church was stretched out for him, he is realizing, man, the church loved Peter most when they prayed for him hardest. You know, Jose was talking a little bit earlier about, man, do we have the heart of Abraham that's willing to intercede and step in the gap, stand in the gap for, for people who, who don't know better themselves, who may feel imprisoned or bound? And I want to tell you that one of the most impactful ways we can love one another and lay it all out for one another is through prayer all out prayer, not just on the part of a few, but the entire church as it is in this story, fully stretched out, extending petitions of faith and trust. And there is power in praying for one another. And if you ever find yourself kind of slipping into a sense of praying over your prayer list or praying over people as a matter of routine, 
ask God, uh, I think it's the promise is in um, oh, Zechariah 12, verse 9, where God says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and supplication. Ask God to refresh that spirit of supplication and intercession in your life. I tell you, there's power in praying for one another. And like I said, in the flow of this story, this one sentence flips the story completely around from a malicious story of violence to a miraculous story of deliverance. How does it turn around? Through constant prayer. The pivot point is fervent prayer, united, all out, fully stretched prayer. The story continues, verse six. Let's keep going. And when Herod was about to bring him out, okay, so probably the Passover was already done. This is the eve before Peter expects to be brought out to the public or for a public execution. According to verse six, it says that night, Peter was doing what? (laughs) He was sleeping. Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison, probably four at a time in rotations, taking care of Peter. Peter is is sleeping soundly on the eve of Herod's public display of violence against the church. I love it. I love it. And this actually calls to mind, you know, Sonia mentioned this last week that, um, you know, uh, just kind of a different take on John 21, when Jesus tells Peter that at some point, you know, someone is going to lead him to his death, that he's going to die a martyr's death. Someone else will gird you, right? If you remember that, that's in John 21. You're accustomed to girding yourself, clothing yourself, but someone else at some point in your life will gird you and lead you to where you don't want to go. Obviously pointing to the future death of Peter. And really this was something that Peter wanted, right? He, He told Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And so I wonder if Peter's sleeping soundly because he's already come to that point of surrender and trust. Like, hey, whenever is the time, it's the time. And so Peter is sleeping, but then <laughs> apparently it's not the time, <laughs> right? Verse seven, now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And this is kind of, you know, if you're a visual or an audible learner, this is where you start hearing angelic music oh, and you kind of see the the ambiance of the glory, the smoke machines and stuff. Anyways, here it is. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. Now, I don't know if, if you guys are, are like light sleepers or just, I don't know, you don't even have to be a light sleeper. But when someone, when you're sleeping soundly and someone turns on the light, that's no fun, right? <laughs> that, that's a, an unwelcome interruption. And... Um, Apparently that wasn't enough to wake up Peter. (laughs) Verse seven, an angel of the Lord stood by him, a light shone in the prison and he, the angel, struck Peter on the side, raised him up saying, arise quickly. And here's that arise command. Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. I tell you, we may feel utterly helpless stuck, unable to turn our painful circumstances around. And especially when that pain is inflicted upon us by other people, even in the midst of that junk, heaven's presence is near. We may not even be aware. We may need an angelic strength on the side to make us aware of heaven's nearness. So the light shines and that's, that's what an angel's presence will do. 
The angel strikes Peter, and that's what an angel will do when his glorious light isn't enough to wake you up from sleep. <laughs> and he says, arise quickly. Like I said, that's the arise command. Arise to find that your chains are gone. Arise to find that even though you felt stuck and there was no possibility of things turning around, there is a divinely ordained freedom that God has already granted to us. He just wants to make us aware of it. And what, what are the things that you feel bound by today? You know, the, the people we feel bound by, maybe there's some in our circle of influence, those are toxic relationships. Maybe there are expectations of other people that make us feel bound and in a lane that we can't get out of. Maybe it's the ill will, the suffering or pain inflicted by other people, whether deserved or not. Maybe we feel bound by prisons of our own making, you know, sins and addictions of our own choosing, whatever the prison may be, whatever the chains, we serve a miracle-working, angel-sending, chain-breaking God who calls us to arise to a divinely ordained freedom. That's awesome. Man. And so the angel continues. I mean, the command to arise isn't the only thing he instructs them to do or instructs Peter to do. Uh, verse eight, there's kind of a sequence of four quick commands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself. What? Ooh, wait, that sounds familiar. Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Okay. And all this is while Peter doesn't even know that this is really happening. What does verse nine say? So he went out and followed him did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And Peter has had experience like that, right? He's, he's had experience where he's fallen asleep and he's seen a vision from heaven. But, but this, is not, this is not just a vision. Uh, all, all that the angel is telling him to do, all that Peter actually does is really happening. Gird yourself. Again, the only other time that that word is used is in John 21, where Jesus is telling you or telling Peter Hey, there's going to be a time you're used to girding yourself, but there will be a time when someone else girds you. And Jesus is telling Peter that at some point in his life, someone else would gird him about that he would die a martyr's death. But by, by, the virtue, by virtue of the fact that the angel is saying, hey, gird yourself, God is saying, no, 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 this is not that time. This is not that time. I still have more for you to do. Gird yourself. That's a, an, an idiom for just get your clothes on, get yourself ready for movement, ready for action. So with the call to arise, God not only breaks our chains, but he also commissions us to get ourselves ready to move forward in freedom. I think there's a dynamic that Paul also knew about. There's a dynamic where we might acknowledge that God has set us free, but there is a responsibility on our part to actually stand in that freedom and move forward in that freedom. I think it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the freedom with which Christ has set you free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, God may grant us victory and freedom, but we have the tendency to go back to those chains to kind of put those things on and say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm still stuck. No, the angel is saying, arise quickly, get yourself going, follow me out of here, okay? And we can follow him into freedom, even when we're completely ignorant of how that freedom is going to be accomplished, right? Peter here, he's like, what is going on? Okay, let's go. <laughs> and when our personal enemies or the prince of darkness has schemed against us, layers of oppression, 
God can lead us out of that even. He can lead us out of that. All right, how does the story keep going? This is verse 10. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. They went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. <laughs> I love it. And then in verse 11, it's, it's Peter's coming to, okay? His, his awareness like, oh, wait, hey, this is for real. Verse 11, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, ah, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Man, notice the conclusion that Peter draws. I've been delivered. I've been delivered. He has delivered me. And that word for delivered, literally, it means to completely be extricated, completely removed. It's, uh, the word is literally totally out from. Okay. Peter recognized that God had wrought a complete rescue, a full removal, full total deliverance on his behalf. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 when he's talking about Jesus Christ who gave himself to deliver us from sin and from this present evil age. Oh man, oh that we would come to like Peter and say, yes, God has given us a complete deliverance, complete rescue. The rest of the story, like I said, this is probably one of the more humorous stories in the book of Acts. Peter, he's come to, so he's, he's got a plan now. Okay, well, let me get out of here. The angel's not leading me. So verse 12, verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. I love it. So while Peter was sleeping peacefully, the church was still praying fervently. Yeah. While he was, you know, knocked out in peaceful trust, the church was still stretched out in fervent prayer. And I love that. It says many were gathered together for prayer. Now, that's not a small detail. Obviously, they didn't have COVID back then. <laughs> uh, but the all out, the full stretch prayer that the church engaged was something they pursued together, unitedly. And uh, the story keeps going. Peter gets to the door. Verse 13, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced hey, that Peter stood before the gate. Verse 15, but they said to her, you are beside yourself. And she kept insisting, no, 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 no. She kept insisting that it was so. So notice what they conclude. They said, it's his angel. It's his angel. Okay. So <laughs> this is funny to me because it's easier for these Christ followers, you know, who are fully aware of God's miraculous intervention in their lives. They, they, they are totally open to the idea that angels step in here and there to intervene for God's people. But it was easier for them to conclude that it was Peter's angel than to accept that he had truly been delivered from Herod's stretched out hand of harassment. I don't know why that is, but that speaks to a tendency on our end when we are stretched out in prayer. Friends, there, there are family members and friends that God wants to lead to freedom, 
And church, we ought to pray for loved ones to arise to that freedom, to arise to deliverance from oppressive circumstance, from abusive relationships, from addictive sins. And when we pray, can we just make a pact? Let, let's believe that God truly will deliver and that God truly does deliver. And that's, you know, that's how this story goes. Obviously, uh, you know, Rhoda gets through to them. Verse 16, now Peter, I'm sorry, I guess it's Peter that, that gets through to them. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking. When they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. Right? This is middle of the night. Don't want to create a, a ruckus um, and draw attention of the Roman guard. But uh, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Obviously, this is a different James than was uh, murdered at the beginning of chapter 12. He departed and went to another place. So Peter walks in deliverance. Now, I, as I was studying this story, you know, um, earlier this week, I asked myself, you know, why? Why is this story even included? And why, you know, why is it here in the book of Acts? Because really all of the Arise stories that we've looked at, they started in chapter eight, right? It was Philip the uh, who arose to minister to the Samaritans, to the Ethiopians. It, it came at that juncture where the gospel was just breaking out over the boundaries of Judaism and actually reaching the, the Gentiles. Okay. So Acts chapter eight, that was the first arise. That's Philip going to Samaria, going to the Ethiopian eunuch. Chapter nine, it's the, it's the conversion of Saul. The persecutor signs on to the cause of taking the gospel beyond just the Jews. Even Peter gets in on the act by the time you get to Acts chapter 10. So all these arises, they're all kind of, the momentum is growing. The gospel is exceeding the boundaries of their preconceived prejudices and ideas. And in chapter 12, all of that momentum feels like it's halted at the beginning of the chapter, right? Where Herod stretches, but let's, let's put an end to that. All that momentum seems halted by James's execution and then Peter's arrest, eventual or anticipated execution. But I believe that chapter 12 is where it is to highlight three assurances that God's church can hang on to when we feel or fear that the work of God is going to be halted or opposed or threatened on every side. Um, do, 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 you, do you catch what I'm saying here? Um, it's been interesting, you know, since, since sharing, uh, about our family's upcoming transition, um, this hasn't been everyone's response, but there has been a, a, uh, repeated question from, you know, different perspectives and stuff asking, so what's going to happen to the church, to Castle Rock, you know? And, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's really an underlying unbelief there. But I want us to know that even when every circumstance seems to point in the direction of putting something to an end, God is not done yet. Um, particularly in the work that God has in store for Castle Rock as a community and, and for this community through his church. The work of the church, let me be very clear, the work of the church moves forward, not by individual personalities, no matter how charming or charismatic they may be. 
<laughs> the church, the work of the church moves forward not by individual personalities, never has, but by personal availability. And when we keep making ourselves available to God's work, available to God's mission, no matter who it is we are, when we make ourselves available, God makes himself responsible. And I didn't make that one up. That's Christ Object Lessons, page 363. <laughs> yeah, she, she's, she's talking about like in all of our work, when we give heed to his instructions, we don't need to conjecture as to the success of our plans. In other words, we don't need to be suspicious. Like, is this going to succeed? Is this going to pull through? Then she keeps going. I think it's, yeah, C-O-L, Christ Object Lessons, 363. And she says, um, when in all our work, we make ourselves available, God makes himself responsible for the completion of his plans or the success of his plans. Not once are we even to think of failure. That's what she says. For God is the one who knows no failure. <laughs> okay. And so this is God's work. This is God's church. And I believe that the assurances of this chapter, especially for us at this time, we're kind of wondering, well, what's, how are things going to move forward? Maybe the church wasn't quite ready to, to, to rest assured that the work didn't depend upon Peter, you know, in this, in this scenario. But God is giving them some assurances that when it seems bound and stuck, what are the, the assurances that allows the church to arise? I would say, here, let me just give them out three assurances. One, God is greater. Okay, God is greater. There's no apparent obstacle or hindrance to his work that is too great for him. If there's something that is going on in our daily experience, we ought to have the assurance that God has already made provision for this very dynamic. So God is greater than that. Assurance number two, uh, we have the cooperation of angels. That is so cool. <laughs> I think that's something that we sometimes discount. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 tells us that, you know, are these not all ministering spirits sent to minister to those who inherit salvation? There are angels ascending, descending. You remember that in John chapter one, Jesus says, hey, you ain't seen nothing yet. There are going to be, you'll see angels ascending and descending upon the son of man. Jesus has already come. He's already bridged the gap between heaven and earth. We have the assurance of angelic cooperation to lead this church as a congregation, to lead God's church at the end of time and bring in glory to the name of God, even when it seems the most impossible. And then the third assurance. So God is greater. We have the cooperation of angels. And the third assurance is simply this. Prayer changes the story. Prayer changes the story. I'm so glad you opened up with that, um, that experience, Jose, of Abraham's. Prayer changes the story. I think we sometimes underestimate that, but we ought never feel that prayer is an optional luxury. It's an absolute necessity. So the church's capacity to arise is directly impacted by the church's fervency to pray. Three assurances, God is greater. We have the cooperation of angels and prayer changes the story. How many of you today want to say, yeah, I'm going to cling to that blessed assurance today. <laughs> God is greater. You know, when it comes to whatever prison I may feel is impossible to turn around, whatever 
circumstances we have uh, fear or concern about regarding our church family or God's work across the globe, hey, let's, let's rest in these assurances. God is greater. The angels are cooperating with us and prayer will change the story. Hey, let's pray together. And um, if you want to hang out further, I'm sure, I'm sure we've got a, a Zoom host that's willing to let everybody be unmuted for a little bit. <laughs> Anyways, let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good. You are so good. And today we just want to arise in the assurances that you've shared with us here in this story. Lord, you know how we needed to hear this on a personal level, on a community level. And Father, whatever it is that we feel uh, afflicted by or harassed by or whatever circumstances we are fearing today, we just, yeah, we give you permission to do above and beyond all that we could ask or think. So thank you for my friends here in this space. Thank you for the capacity to continue to worship. And so on Sabbath, lead us to rest. Lead us to rest and lead us to freedom. We pray in Jesus' name, let the family say, amen, amen.